Chag. Or Eth. Or Eth. That's about as light as this will get tonight, so I just thought I'd throw that in there. That is the Hebrew word for back. The meaning of it is back, that which comes after result, uh, after effects, final consequences, end, ultimate outcome. From our ordinary human vantage point, we cannot see that which comes after the final consequences of a matter, the Akarith, God always, God always sees the whole picture. In his eyes, the Akarith is always in view. The Bible said he sees the end from the beginning. If we want to live holy lives, it is crucial that we gain God's perspective on sin. Ak or Eth is used about 61 times in the Old Testament. It's used 13 times in the book of Proverbs. So about 20% of the time this word is used in the Bible, it's found in the book of Proverbs. The whole purpose of the book of Proverbs, the book of wisdom, the book of being smart, living smart, doing smart, thinking smart, The whole book of Proverbs can be summed up in one verse. In Proverbs chapter 19, verse 20, Hear counsel and receive instruction, that thou thou mayest be be wise in thy latter end, in thy awkward. In Proverbs chapter 16, verse 25, the text that we just read, There is a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof, Akarith, are the ways of death. The problem is that Satan only shows the pleasure for the moment, but he never shows you the Akarith, or the end. You remember Esau who sold his lifelong birthright for one meal because he was hungry at that moment. Afterward, When he wanted to inherit his blessing, he was rejected, even though he sought after it with tears. His Akarith, his consequences, the end of it all, was only misery for him. I would like to say to all of us here tonight, you'll see this on the screen. Before I yield to sin next time, I need to remember how it felt after I sinned this time. My fallen nature just wants to think about now. There's many verses in Proverbs that warn about Akarith, of sexual immorality. Wants to show the consequences, the end of sexual immorality. I taught on this last Wednesday night. I I read this passage. I'll read it again tonight. The Bible talks about a strange woman. You could substitute the word sin, is what I taught last Wednesday night, for the strange woman. So for the lips of a strange woman are sin. 
The lips of a strange woman drop as a honeycomb, and her mouth is smoother than oil. But her end, but her end, but sin's end, is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death, her steps take hold on hell. Lest thou shouldest ponder the path of life, her ways are movable, that you can't know them. This is the fallacy of sin. I've taught it this past Sunday, preached it, taught it last Wednesday night. When you start out saying things like, well, I'm only going to do this, but I'm going to be very careful how much I do it. You don't know the path that that's going to take you down before it's all over with. That's the fallacy of that kind of thinking and reasoning. The prodigal son had no idea when he left his father's house where his path of choice would ultimately leave him at. So hear me now, therefore, O ye children, and depart not from the words of my mouth. Remove thy way far from her, or sin, and come not nigh the door of her house, lest thou give thine honor unto others, and thy years unto the cruel, lest strangers be filled with thy wealth, and thy labors be in the house of a stranger. This is where the prodigal son ended up, was in the house of a stranger feeding swine. And thou mourn at last, when thy flesh and thy body are consumed, your ochreth, and say, How have I hated instruction in my heart, despised reproof, and have not obeyed the voice of my teachers, nor inclined mine ear to them that instructed me? It was almost in all evil in the midst of the congregation and assembly. I'm not going to take time and read the next translation. I think you all get the point. No matter how good the seductive woman is, no matter how good she looks, which is sin, the consequences of associating with her is always disastrous. That's why there's so many warnings in the book of Proverbs that are so urgent for us to heed. Listen to Pastor. God shows us the traps of sin in advance. The devil will only show you the bait. My heart is so heavy here tonight. I thought I would get some release from this this past Sunday, but I haven't. Proverbs 23 verse 31 said, Don't let the sparkle and smooth taste of wine deceive you. That can be literal, and it can also represent sin. For in the end, it bites like a poisonous serpent, and it stings like a viper. Today on the streets of some of our major cities... There are winos and crack addicts laying in their own waste and vomit. Their faces bloodied from a fall on the concrete. Their lives totally destroyed. But for some of them, five years ago, they were successful doctors, prominent lawyers, or happily married athletes. What happened? What happened? Well, they were under a lot of pressure or some tragic event took place. Or one of their friends introduced them to a new thrill. 
For a while that fix became a daily affair and then it became, began to dominate them until they ended up losing their jobs, losing their families, losing their homes, and then living on the street. If, if they could have only seen their okarith, their end, nothing could have possibly driven them to drinking or drugs. But they didn't see it. They didn't see it coming. Sin's end result is a total opposite of what was promised. It offered delight but brought death. It guaranteed a high but instead brought hell. Y'all remember the Marlboro Man? Anybody old enough to remember the Marlboro Man? It's a figure used in tobacco advertising campaigns for Marlboro cigarettes. In the United States where the campaign originated, it was used from 1954 through 1999. The Marlboro Man was first conceived by Leo Burnett in 1954. The images initially featured rugged men portrayed in a variety of roles, but later primarily featured a rugged cowboy or cowboys in a picturesque wild terrain. The advertisements were originally conceived as a way to popularize filtered cigarettes, which at the time were considered feminine. The Marlboro advertising campaign created by Leo Burnett Worldwide is said to be one of the most brilliant advertisement campaigns of all time. It transformed a feminine campaign with the slogan, Mild as May, into one that was masculine in a matter of months. The first models were Navy Lieutenant Andy Armstrong, the ad's agency art supervisor. Other early models were sales promotion director of Philip Morris, Robert Larkin, and others from the Leo Burnett ad agency, Lee Stanley and Owen Smith. Cowboys proved to be popular, which led to the Marlboro Country and Marlboro Country campaigns. The slogan, come to Marlboro Country. I remember those advertisements. Come to where the flavor is, it said. Come to Marlboro Country. Promised every ordinary man the prospect of transforming himself into, or at least associating himself with, a rugged and macho cowboy merely by lighting up this Philip Morris product. What they don't tell you is that five men who appeared in Marlboro-related advertisements, Wayne McLaren, David McLean, Dick Hammer, Eric Lawson, and Jerome Edward Jackson, a.k.a. Tobin Jackson, died of smoking-related diseases, thus earning Marlboro cigarettes, specifically Marlboro Reds, the nickname Cowboy Killers. The Bible said in Psalm 37, Mark the perfect man, and behold the upright, for the end. The ocarith, the end of that man, is peace. But the transgressors shall be destroyed together. The end, ocarith, of the wicked shall be cut off. This is the same psalm that tells us in verse 1 to fret not thyself of evildoers. It's the same one that says in verse 25, I've been young, now I'm old, and I've not seen the righteous forsaken or seed out begging bread. It's the same psalm. 
But according to the NLT, verse 38 says, But the wicked will be destroyed. They have no future, the Bible said. But oh, the righteous. In my Father's house are many mansions, Jesus said. If it were not so, I would have told you. Go to prepare a place for you. The end thereof. The Bible says such things about God and His relationship with those who believe in Him, who serve Him. He said in Jeremiah 29, 11, For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. The Bible says that the alchorith of believers will be blessed forever. I want to say tonight to anyone who is here or would watch or listen on our podcast, I apologize to you if your first contact with Pentecost was a backslidden Christian or someone who sinned with you. You've been ripped off. You've only seen the fake. They have no future and they are dragging you down with them. I want to share with you tonight a very sober story. It's a true story. Never heard this story before until I read it, came across it a week or so ago. Brother Mark Foster, who pastors in Bossier, preached a sermon. And he titled it, When God Builds You a Prayer Room. He told this story in that sermon. I've edited a little bit of it for the sake of our younger people and children that are in the room tonight. This is a true story. It's court documented. There were two boys that got off work one Friday night in Houston, Texas. They were brothers. The youngest was 17 years old. The older brother said, Little brother, I am so homesick to hear the pastor preach. I am so homesick to get back to Louisiana and hear the saints worship. So I'm going to go home this weekend. Won't you go with me? The little brother laughed and said, go ahead and go. I've got my paycheck and it's going to be a wild weekend of wine and women and song. I'm going to have a party, he said. So the other, older brother headed for Louisiana. The younger brother got on the freeway and began to, began to thumb a ride. He was picked up by a man by the name of Elmer Wayne Henley. Henley asked him, he said, where are you going, boy? He replied, I'm going to have a wild weekend. It's going to be women, wine, and song. Elmer Wayne Henley pulled a revolver out and said, oh, no, you're not. You're going to have a wild weekend, but it's going to be with me, and you won't live to tell about it. With that, he took out some handcuffs, told the boy to put his hand out. He cuffed him to something in the car and drove him to his house on the outskirts of Houston. What I'm about to tell you was later court documented. This was the last boy out of 28 that Elmer Wayne Henley and his accomplices had abducted. In the courtroom, Henley said that there was something different about that last boy that he abducted. He said, we took him into the house and stripped him of his clothing. We laid him on the floor. We handcuffed his hands and feet to the floor. I'm not going to go into detail here, but he said they tortured him horribly 
and then killed him. I will mention that these young men were not attracted to women. Henley went on to say, But something this time was different. The boy screamed, he cried and begged, and just when it seemed like he was about to lose his mind, I took the revolver and placed it to his temple. About that time, the boy began to pray. He began to call on Jesus. And he said there was an eerie presence that entered the room. I tried to pull the trigger, Henley said, but I couldn't. I was afraid, so I backed off. The boy screamed and cried and prayed to God. In just a few minutes, that boy began to speak a foreign language that I'd never heard before. He spoke that language for a while, and then the presence seemed to leave. And then I was able to pull the trigger, ending the young boy's life. That 17-year-old Pentecostal preacher's boy was raised in the church. He knew what it was to sit in church services. But he took God to his last resort. I'm not telling you that God did that to him. He did that to himself. But God allowed that boy to have a prayer room right before he died. Never take God to his last resort. If you don't pray now while you have a chance, God may put you in the place where you will... You will have to pray. I'm glad to say that night when Josh Wheeler faced his wreath, when he faced his end in the wee hours of the morning on the freeway, God gave him a moment. As I remember from the Wheeler story, the paramedic said when they got to him, he was praying. He was praying with all of his might, and he prayed till he lost consciousness. I can personally say that when I had my accident, I didn't die, but I was given a moment where I screamed out to the name to God, the name of God rolling down the highway, and I had another moment in the ambulance before medication took over my mind. In Numbers chapter 23, verse 10, the false prophet Balaam had this to say. He said, let me day I die the death of the righteous. And may my end, my ochreth, my end, let my end be like theirs. Everybody wants to die the death of the righteous. But to do that, you have to live the life of the righteous. The psalmist said in Psalm 73, Truly God is good to Israel, even to such as are of a clean heart. But as for me, my feet were almost gone. My steps had well nigh slipped. For I was envious at the foolish when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. But he went on to say, Until I went into the sanctuary of God, then understood I their end, their alchemy. Deuteronomy 32 verse 29 says, Oh, that they were wise, that they understood this, that they would consider their latter end. Again from our text, Mark the perfect man, and behold the upright, for the end of that man is peace. But the transgressors shall be destroyed together, the end of the wicked shall be cut off. 
I want to share something with you tonight. And because of live stream and all of that, I'm going to have to be real careful. But I had the most unique experience this past Saturday that I think I've ever had in my life. I mentioned to you last Wednesday, I believe it was, that there was someone that I know under the age of 50 that was dying because of a very sinful life. Well, that person died. They died Saturday. Funeral was today. Again, because of live stream, I'm not going to go into a lot of detail about it, but only to say that as far as I know, this person died in sin. I got news this past Saturday of this person's passing. As a matter of fact, I got news of this person's passing as I was leaving a funeral in New Roads. Went to the funeral. It was Brother Ben's mother. There he is. Brother Ben's mother, Brother Brian's grandmother. I sat there and listened to what the folks had to say. Brother Brian shared some things about her. thought Brother Ben did an absolute eloquent job presenting his grandmother, especially to the people there like me that never met her. But Brother Ben said this. He said, they have a rocking chair in their house. At the back of it, it's where you would put your back. It's where your back is leaning against the chair. It's all scratched up. There's a part of it that's all scratched up because that's where she buried her head in prayer every morning. And the hairpins in her hair scratched that chair. She did it so much and so often. He pointed out a couple of times in his presentation that he heard her call all the names of his siblings, including himself. He called all of their names over and over. She, she prayed for them over and over, day after day after day after day. As a matter of fact, Brother Ben's aunt would be his mother's sister, saying two songs at that funeral. Her hair is snow white. I don't know how she is. I believe Brother Ben's mother was 89. I don't remember if the lady that sang is older or younger. Her name is Sister Lynn. But apparently they're pretty close in age. Sister Lynn said, if you want, ever want to see her, come see me. We, people always say we look alike. But it occurred to me. Against the backdrop of what I've been teaching and what I've been preaching. Which life... Would you prefer to live and then die? The person under 50 that I know, or the 89-year-old that raised Brother Ben and had a whole lot to do with Brother Brian's life and what he's living right now. Which life would you prefer to live? I want everybody to know here tonight, when you think of the most evil person you've ever known, my mind would probably go to Adolf Hitler. It'd probably go to Pontius Pilate because he's the one that had Jesus crucified. Just an evil man. Wouldn't know something good if it hit him in the head. Think of Mussolini. People that's killed hundreds and thousands of people. Stalin, you can go on and on. I want everybody here tonight to understand that the same spirit that got a hold of them is the same spirit that's after your kids. It may manifest itself a little bit different. 
And it may not come across quite as strong. But trust me, if you live in sin, and if you die in sin, you will go to the same place that these men have gone to. The end is the same. Just because you don't deem yourself quite as bad, or I don't, Pastor, I'm no Adolf Hitler for crying out loud. I realize that. But I am persuaded tonight in my 35 plus years of ministry. I've seen more than one person die, naturally die, after spiritually dying on a church pew and listen to a minister to struggle to try to say things that would give the parents some comfort. The Bible is very clear that the death of the righteous is amazing. I preached my own mother's funeral, Brother Ben. It was the greatest honor ever bestowed on me as a minister. And I was happy. I still remember the text. It was the one I quoted a few moments ago. In my father's house are many mansions. I've laid many a church service with my head on her lap, listening to her sing the roll is called up yonder and shouting on the hills of glory. And I'll fly away and all of those songs when the redeemed are gathering in. I was glad to stand in front of her, behind her casket rather, with it right there in front of me and tell her, tell the crowd that was there, especially those that knew her. There's no doubt and no question in my mind that that sweet old lady is on the other side somewhere having her a Holy Ghost time in Jesus right now. But I can think of countless others that I've said at their funeral that couldn't quite say the same thing. I'm not trying to be morbid here tonight. I'm trying to be real. I want to say something to our parents here tonight, and it, it may alarm you. I hope it does. But when your child receives the baptism of the Holy Ghost, you don't wait a month or two for them to be baptized. You baptize them as quickly as possible because they're not saved until they are. And it would be a tragic thing if something happened. I'm sorry tonight to be so offensive and harsh. But I just want you folks to go to heaven all I'm after and I'm willing to do whatever it takes to make that happen and I think the trip is going to be worth it thank the Lord if you'll stand with me tonight conclusion I live every Sunday don't know that I've ever had a Sunday since I've pastored, since I was a home missionary, since I was an evangelist. But I walked away from a service feeling like God did everything in that service that He wanted to do. I don't expect tonight will be any different. Because people are going to turn around and they're going to walk away. They're going to walk out. I understand. This is not really something that I would enjoy hearing either. But it needs to be said. It has to be said. Our kids are worth it. Our family's worth it. The people we work with are worth it. The people we attend church with are worth it. And I would to God tonight that people here would do your dead level best. Do heart cleaning, soul cleaning, house cleaning, whatever you have to do.
But folks, we have to live right with God to the best of our ability every day, every moment, every hour. We do. Let's pray together. Would you join me? Father, tonight we're thankful for this blessed book. It's harsh. It's to the point. It don't pull punches. I don't think we should either. You made it very clear what the end of it all is going to be. And God, we have to be on the right side of that. Somehow we have to be on the right side of that. And I'm asking you again tonight to take this church up in your arms, to gather this church in around you, to draw us close to you. That we don't sit around looking for ways, that things that we can do and get by, but we'll, with all of our heart, look for things that we can do to be better, to impact your kingdom more. Pray that you would talk to our hearts, our minds, that you would talk to our parents concerning their lives and the lives of their children. I pray, God, that you would talk to all of our families. Talk to us, oh God. Deal with us. Talk to us tonight when we're going to sleep. Talk to us tomorrow morning when we wake up. We've got to be right with God, whatever it takes. And I pray that you would minister to us tonight in Jesus' name. And everybody say amen. There is an amazing crowd here tonight for Wednesday. I thank you with all of my heart so very much for coming. God bless you. You're dismissed. Men, we'll see you Saturday morning at men's prayer. We'll see you the rest of you Sunday morning in church. God bless you in Jesus' name.